0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Burley Fish's Isolation Station. Today, we have SoMaya on so Maya. We are celebrating the launch, uh, which happened a little while ago now, so I think. I'm Not very good with dates. <laughs> it's
1: been exactly a month. Exactly a month.
0: <laughs> it's been exactly a month. Oh, wonderful. Um, of a nazi word for a nazi thing it's, it's going to be kind of an unusual podcast as well so isn't it
2: it is
1: an unusual podcast because we are coming to you uh we were coming to you live and the book is constantly concerned with how time gets folded by complicated history so we're adding another queer fold of time we did a live launch for the book on the 9th Uh, I think the 9th of November was the week of the US election. So time ceased to have any meaning, but very generously um, a beautiful audience and beautiful performers joined us on Zoom and we recorded um, the performances and the introductions to three short films that we were lucky enough to screen. We can't share the films via the podcast, but Dan and I are going to reflect on the films and how they connect to the book, and the, the fantastic filmmakers that we were lucky to have. So, this is the, the podcast version of the Zoom experience of the book. Um, <laughs> life is a cabaret. So, <laughs> pour yourself an Ohio or equally uh, disgusting made up Weimar cocktail. I'm particularly fond of the idea of rose petals soaked in radium cream, which do wonders for your complexion, darling. And oh, wow. Enjoy the resonances and brilliance of the gorgeous performers. Um, Isabel Weidner. Yeah, big up. Big up, Juliet <laughs> Jakes, Ray Filar Campbell X, Keith Jarrett, and Tim Smith, who joined us on the night and were incredible and so generous. Yeah. And thank you to Dan for weaving a live event into a podcast which is a little bit like herding queer cats at pride.
0: <laughs> Don't thank me. Uh, it might all go wrong. <laughs> um, on that note, I will turn we will, sorry I should say, turn over to the wonderful performers.
1: My thanks go to Sam Fisher, Will Reese and Jake Franklin of Peninsula Press for everything, for taking this book on. And um, not letting me back out of (laughs) it and also to designer Harry Hepburn for the power of the full stop who knew punctuation could uh, really make a cover. Um, I also want to thank Sam in his birdie Fisher capacity and also Dan Fuller, Anthony Hurley and Enya Nolan who are supporting tonight's event, to Maddy Costa who not only produced tonight but managed it and is making it all smooth and beautiful can't thank you enough to Louisa McDade who's providing our captions thank you Louisa Louisa stepped in at the last minute when our previous um, captioner stepped out and we found her through the queer film festival community which is the best so thank you and also thank you to Rebecca May Johnson for her research on Weimar edibles. And I hope you all have something more exciting than my glass of water to toast with. Prost. To all the filmmakers and performers who are joining us this evening, I'm going to be thanking you all night because you deserve all the thanks. To Isabel Weidner, Juliette Jakes, and Ray Filar, who will be making the first half sparkle. And to Campbell X, Timothy Smith and Keith Jarrett, who will set fire to part two. We'll be dropping full bios for each artist into the chat, along with links to some of their work, and links to buy their books. To the audience, you're not just the audience, Your friends, colleagues, strangers, people I know from Twitter, people that I've just met through books. Um, Thank you so much for being here. I think we can all hear probably explosions in the sky around us of one kind or another. So thank you for joining us for this explosion. Thank you to the many people who talked through the book and ideas with me, starting with some of you who've been with this project since the tiny letter, Entatita, which was written exactly four years ago, right after another US election. And we're hoping this will be the unhex that undoes 2016. And I want to say a particular thank you to one audience member who is probably struggling with her Zoom and hasn't made it. But when she gets here, you'll all know, to my mum, Vicky Ainley, who introduced me to the world of Weimar Cabaret um, by dressing up as Sally Bowles in hot pants for an event at my Conservative Jewish primary school. If anyone has taught me about resistance, speaking truth to power, and importantly doing so in a hat and nail varnish and fishnets, it's my mom, And that moment is the spark that lit the curiosity that led me to writing this book nearly four days late, four days, four decades, I was very precocious, four decades later. This book is about finding the queer culture that is my heritage as a European queer and genderqueer non-binary person. To make that claim, to live an identity that defies the strictures of conservative Judaism, which, like many other orthodox institutional faiths, is homophobic and transphobic, would be, quote, to do the Nazis work for them, end quote, in the words I was taught at home, at synagogue and at school. Retelling how I unlearned this does not require straight biography, nor is it consigned to fragmentation. To redress the Nazi's work of erasure, I want to take up Julian Carter's phrase, Folds of Time, which they use to encompass the process and effects of gender transition in which personal memory folds back on itself as fuller versions of one's own history are shared. What is fragmented by fascism is folded by gender queerness. In a movement and community where still too few activists and artists survive to be elders. The real queer and trans coming of age is not coming out, but coming to recovery work. First as a viewer or reader finding themselves, then as a participant in the archives. We enfold queer texts and trace our memories so we can pass them on. And I'm beyond thrilled to be joined tonight by six expert time folders whose work extends through untold histories and into scintillating futures to make a time in which we can be here together. And magically, they could almost make it a shared, living, touching space, like the Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft, um, those spaces that are so important to queer culture. And I can see some shout outs already being dropped in the chat. Please do share the spaces and projects that mean a lot to you, and particularly the ones that need our support now to keep going. Please drop the links, Um, And please, if you're seeing the links, check them out. If you can support them financially or by sharing them, please do. As Isabel Weidner writes in their introduction to how to run a queer reading series at a London art institution, though unprecedented in terms of its universality, the current suspension feels like an extension of the precarity and ephemerality of queer working class structures at their best of times. That essay is in Cypher Press's pamphlet, there will always be nights like this. And Isabel's work fulfills that promise, embracing the precarious and the ephemeral as beautiful and powerful. When I hear Isabel read their work, what I feel is the pulse pounding possibility of insurrection, Because in their work, everything is always changing and already different, rushing into an unforgettable present that brings us together, as Queers Read This did and will continue to do. Not least because they have made Queer Lit so welcoming. Please welcome, Isabel Weidner.
2: I didn't actually know I was going to be first, so that's a nice surprise. Thank you so much, So, for this really generous introduction. Um, Basically, absolutely congratulations to Peninsula Press, to So for putting together this incredible event and for producing this stunning book, obviously, needless to say. Um, I'm so honoured and delighted to be here, and it's really nice to see some of you actually with their visuals switched on even. I know I've got mine off usually but it does make a difference because i haven't seen any of you for so long um okay what i'm going to do today is i'm going to be reading for just under 10 minutes maybe eight minutes or so and i'm going to test out something new from my current from my brand new book in process Um, it's called sterling carrot gold and it will be published by the very same peninsula press in, uh, <laughs> so, in um, kind of the first half of um, 2021. So we are just sort of the um, final parts of revisioning going on at the moment, but I'm going to read a part um, which comes early in the book from chapter two. So um, you don't need to know a lot about it, what happened before to make sense of this chapter that I'm going to be reading. It's basically about, um, Two characters are the main characters in it, one is the narrator called <laughs> Sterling and uh, one is Tchotchke, their best friend and the two of them they run some sort of DIY artist performance series together called Cataclysmic Foibles. So. That's sort of the backstory you need. And other than that, the only thing you need to know is that in the opening chapter, the chapter that comes before the one that I'm reading, there's like some kind of deliberate attack on Sterling taking place that's staged as a bullfight for some reason or other. It's a little bit surreal. But that's what happened before we get to this point. And now I'm just going to read and um, I hope you can sort of um, fill in the gaps for yourself. So this chapter is called A cheap looking two-tone two-piece doesn't a time traveller make. I don't even want to say, but having dropped Chachki off at their flat, I continue walking up the Lancy street towards mine and the exact person, Chachki, or so it seems, I dropped off seconds ago, is now walking towards me, talking, gesticulating urgently. What's worse is that this tchotchke, so-called, is wearing an outfit entirely unfamiliar to me, namely a two-tight, cheap-looking, two-tone polyester two-piece, second-hand car-dealer style, with tasseled loafers, which arguably counts as a look somewhere, New Jersey, that they've got their hair sleeked into a center parting and that, unfairly, they're showcasing a neatly clipped pencil moustache, one of which I've been trying to grow for a decade, but haven't been able to and which, more to the point, doesn't exist above Chachki's upper lip either, or it didn't seconds ago. And what's that smell? Is it Eau de Cologne? So this Chachki in that two-tone two-piece, orange or purple depending on the light's angle of incidence, is talking non-stop and arguably loudly in an, attention, in an effort to get my attention. But I'm sorry, I'm already listening to the sound that their suit makes in motion, the clicking of their loafers on asphalt and la 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 the singing in my head. And yet I can hear Chachki Cheep copy chatting at me, repeatedly saying about an important message they have to convey, and get this, about the not too distant future hence they hail. And if there was ever a point where I was following them, I'm now lost, metaphorically speaking. Literally, I just arrived outside my block, where I stop, let my guard down, look fraudulent Chachki straight in the eye and ask what message. Chachki, secondhand car salesman, stresses that under no circumstances should I do what I'm planning on doing tomorrow, Saturday, but that I should put my not unfounded reservations about the police to one side, and report what happened to me earlier today as a priority. They're referring to the bullfight, of course. Go police, they say. That is the message. I'm sorry, who are you? I say uncooperatively, and as a rule, I don't take instructions from strangers. But it's me, Chachki. Chachki's center parting insists. And I admit that there's a softness in their eyes that is vaguely familiar while there being a mercilessness that is irreconcilably alien. And it's this mercilessness or cold-heartedness that beyond even their suit, their moustache and their eau de cologne, renders them strangely unrecognizable to me. So I'm telling whoever this is that they aren't judge Their blatant cold-heartedness being just one of the many, many reasons. I know they're not Chachki, but an imposter and charlatan. What's this now? They're pinging unsolicited photos to my phone, depicting me and Chachki, Photos of which I have no memory of ever having had taken. Nor do I recognize any of the scenarios. Least of all the one which appears to be shot against the backdrop mimicking Baghdad and one featuring ancient ancient superstructures in where the Belizean rainforest, Chachki Sosi says. So I say as if and dream on, the furthest furthest I travel is Forest Gate to the east, Forest Hill to the south, Westbourne Park to the west, and Glasgow to the north. I have never been a tourist, nor a global citizen, nor part of an international jet set at all. I've stayed London since I first entered in 2001, perhaps to minimize travel costs, perhaps because all I ever wanted was a home. Photoshop, I say, disparagingly, also nonchalantly, as if tchotchke con artists' photos didn't look impressively realistic and weren't getting to me. But they do look realistic and they are getting to me. I start deleting the images as they come in. I cannot delete them quickly enough. Trash can, trash can, trash can, waste basket. Tchotchke perfume counter keeps bombarding me with their unlikely photos and videos. There are short clips of me looking disorientated in San Francisco. Never in my life have I been San Francisco. Are you sure you want to delete? Yes, I am sure. Delete already. But then phony Chachki pings over an image of Rodney and myself. Rodney is somebody Sterling doesn't know yet. Pings over an image of Rodney and myself in a car park outside what looks like an American mosque. And I hesitate. I stop short of pinning the photo, not because of America or the mosque, but because of Rodney, myself and the unimaginable familiarity existing between us. Chachki4711 now corners me in the entrance to my block, saying, look at me, as if that would change anything. You aren't Chachki, I repeat like a mantra or a protective spell. I prove to you that I am, they say, and how you gonna do that, I say, they say, chariots, Roman, spa, three words, six syllables, denoting the place, the real Chachki and I met 20 years ago, a life-changing, life-saving encounter for both of us. We'd be nothing without each other and neither of us would be anything without cataclysmic foibles and the latter wouldn't exist if it weren't for chariots, Roman, spa, the gay sauna in Shoreditch, East London, 1996 till 2016, R.I.P. O. gentrification. Chachki Cologne says it again, namely that they, Chachki tassel loafers, are Chachki. The only difference being that they went back in time to put me off my ill-fated plans and to urge me to go police ASAP tonight, ideally. Or else, I say, being difficult, I say that I don't remember having informed Chachki, my bestie, nor Tchotchke from the future of the precise nature of my plans. In fact, I kept my messaging deliberately cryptic all day to prevent unsolicited interventions of precisely this nature. I didn't want to be in a position of having to justify or defend my plans to go a Hendon football club tomorrow. Not to Chachki, nor to you, a cheap alter ego with a pencil moustache. You didn't, tchotchke Inflammable Fabric confirms. Inform me of your plans to go Hendon, but that's where the time travel comes in. They didn't or will not find out what I did or will do tomorrow morning until tomorrow evening, which was circa three months ago and also too late. They have seen things in the future, they say. Talk of cryptic messaging. i leave it there, shall I? Thanks so much.
1: Wow, I was time traveled. <laughs> what blows me away about Isabel's writing? Is how they know and show that language too is precarious and ephemeral. And that's how it carries meaning. Language and identity are both creatures of change and capaciousness. And it's Isabel that I have to thank, thank for a last minute insight about the book's titular Nazi word for a Nazi thing. Entartet is an adjective usually translated as degenerate and was infamously applied by the Nazi party to an art exhibition in 1937 that's at the heart of the book the exhibition gathered hundreds of works expropriated from their owners mostly modernist works many by artists who were or were considered to be jewish and or communist and or queer and or disabled i'm going to read a bit from the book about it By grouping so many different kinds of people under the term degenerate and associating that term with un-German-ness, the Nazis enforced an ideology of total erasure. Entartet at once named and denied difference. Functionally an adjective, it comes to be used in place of the noun entartung, degeneration or degeneracy. Nazism is a grammar of turning descriptors into designations, fixed identities marked permanently on the body. Entartet stops the mouth, takes away the words you have for yourself, and then uses them to destroy you. One person who seems to find exactly the words I need and want just at the moment that words seem most impossible is Juliet Jakes. Whether it's on her podcast, Sweet 212, subscribe and support, uh, through her journalism, through art writing, through creative nonfiction and experimental fiction, or her occasional references to a prior prime minister and his porcine acquaintance, Juliet is a word genius. Like many people, I first came across her writing in The Guardian, columns that were collected as the essential trans memoir. And at the same time, I began to encounter her fiction in magazines like 3AM and BelFoir that are shaking the up itself UK literary culture. And then I learned that Juliet also makes films that have the folded time qualities of her fiction, the precision of her critical writing and the tenacity of her journalism. Please welcome to introduce her film with Curl Warwalk, Approach Withdraw, Triple threat, Juliet Jakes.
3: Thanks, so that was a really lovely introduction. Um, Very pleasant surprise to hear a reference to Hendon Football Club in uh, Isabel's reading. uh, Owing to the lockdown and COVID restrictions, I am in exile from Norwich City this season. Spent my birthday uh, watching Hendon beat Maidstone United in the FA Cup. So um, yeah, yeah, and that's clearly bringing us all together. there's no references to Hendon or any other non-league football teams in Approach Withdraw, sadly. Um, this film was the first film I made. And uh, it was also the first film that Kerr Woolwork made. Uh, Kerr is a sculptor and artist, um, someone I know very well. and um, So someone I know very well, and this film, Approach Withdraw, was kind of our way of processing our relationship with each other. Um, we had both talked quite a lot about wanting to branch out into a different medium and hopefully finding different ways of expressing ourselves and so king's college london and the bfi uh, and the science museum um, opened applications for this program called queering love queering hormones and welcome pitches and we picked this 10 minute film that you're going to see now shot on 16 millimeter i think it looks really beautiful um it was all shot at um Nowhere in Bethnal Green with their equipment that was used by a lot of my heroes in the London Filmmakers Cooperative in the 60s and 70s and beyond. Uh, it's more Kerr's film than mine, I would say. Um, Kerr and I wrote the script together. Um, I think Kerr wrote more of it than I did and I had more of a kind of editing role and contributed something and then we shot the film and edited the film together um, but it's more their vision than, than mine I think um, but you know I, one of the things I brought in was the uh, references to Magnus Hirschfeld and the Institute for Sexual Science that So has already mentioned um, earlier earlier in the evening um, and also persuaded the act, trans actress Rebecca Root to to narrate the film. Um, You know, I think it's quite a dreamlike experience. It's certainly a film that doesn't aim to give up all of its secrets easily and quickly. Um, And it's an interesting combination of kind of styles and perspectives between Kerr and myself, I think. Um, I've gone on to make a couple of other films. I made another 16 millimetre 10 minute film called You Will Be Free in 2017, which I think is one of my very favourite things I've ever made. Uh, And Kerr has carried on making films as well. And if you watch either my subsequent films or Curse, then I think you can, you can sort of see how both of our styles come together in approach Withdraw. Draw. Um, so that's enough for me, I think. Um, I'll let you watch the film now. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Okay, so now we're getting Pomo. Uh, you've heard the introduction to the wonderful Juliet Jakes. Uh and the film Approach with Draw that she co-directed with Kerr Woolworth. Um but we can't uh she, we can't play the audio, we'll show it to you. Uh so we're just gonna talk a little bit about the film and yeah, what they put together.
1: Yeah, uh, so the first thing to probably say is that you're missing out on the voice of the wonderful Rebecca Reed, who yeah, yeah, narrated uh a film that is One reason I wanted to screen it is for me, it's this incredible combination of very experimental visual form with an immediately engaging, accessible, very warm, funny, melancholy um, audio that reminded me of Derek Jarman's Blue in that balance, that combination of really pushing the boundaries of how we receive information while telling uh, a story that immediately connects yeah. um to the listener uh without in any way compromising or talking down or you know some of the expectations that people are always pitting on uh, art that has to quote unquote represent that it's uh totally itself and it's an incredible collaboration as well and to me that's just like the heart of Juliet's work is this balance yeah. of Incredible depth of knowledge about experimental and political forms of the 20th century and beyond, and a really like global knowledge of that, which she translates into her writing and into her amazing podcast, Suite 212. And she knows just how difficult it is to talk about film on on audio. Um, And that encompasses so much, including, you know, uh, football, lower league football, um, visual culture, politics. creative nonfiction. she has a book of um short fantastic short stories like re- i've read a couple and oh uh, just so exciting we're gonna have her back on the podcast for that
4: Yeah. and
1: this kind of multi-layering that just like if i had to sum up sum it up in one adjective it would be weimar like
4: yeah. this
1: idea of like the the you know quilt bag identities you know which is the acronym that i use borrow from nicola Griffiths and kelly eskridge instead of lgbtiq because it's funner and more capacious <laughs> that, that quilt bagging let's say is this socio-cultural intellectual aesthetic sport scientific practice it's not just this like the narrow niche of like sexual identity or gender identity that it's put into in our culture it's this whole way of being in the world and engaging with the world that's like so politically nuanced, and Juliet is just like the queen of that.
0: Yeah, she uh, the film really just shows how versatile, uh, creative that Juliet is. Um, Always bringing new things out of the bag, always surprising us, and yeah, she's one of the most uh, important voices, uh, both in queer spaces and outside queer spaces, that's operating in the UK today, so you should, if you haven't encountered her yet, you should definitely check her out, because she's... Yeah, she.
1: You can find samples of her writing and um, some of her other films on JulietJakes.com, and we'll drop that link yeah. in the show notes. Um, and do look out for that book, which is coming next year with Influx. So you can subscribe to Influx uh, subscription package or look out for it from uh, us, Lily yeah. Fisher. Yeah, yeah bye- it's going to be looks. a. <laughs> yeah, buy some books.
0: <for laughs> And by Nazi, I, Western, Nazi thing as well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, Juliet's first book, Trans a Memoir, is, of course, available from us, published by Verso. Seminal, absolutely seminal.
0: All right. Well, on that note, uh, and with much love, we will go back to the live recording.
1: Thank you, Juliet. I think we can all feel that moment of revelation in our mouths. Um, Estrogen receptors are present in the human inner ear, but no one knows why. Now we do millennia of evolution, just so that we can hear these glorious words written by Juliet and spoken by Rebecca Root. What I mean is how ridiculously skillfully Juliet and Kerr integrate scientific knowledge and lived experience and show that lived experience is scientific knowledge and vice versa. A strategy that contemporary queer and trans culture in some senses inherits from Magnus Hirschfeld, the sociologist who first documented urban euro-western queer culture. His vision of sexual wissenschaft, which is usually translated as sexology, is something more like, for me, sex and sexuality as a way of understanding the whole world. A different way of doing science that also acknowledges science's colonial history and which limits who and what, see, what it sees. So I'll just read a short passage from the book. Enlightenment practices, such as the scientific method and documentary, do not describe reality, but circumscribe it. As an unidentified speaker says, outside one of the balls in Paris is Burning, Jenny Livingston's documentary, which I use to read some of these histories, you go in there and you feel feel 100% right as being gay. It's not what it's like in the world. It's not what it's like in the world. You know, it should be like that in the world. Sexual Wissenschaft is a way of knowing how it should be. For Hirschfeld, fully realized embodiment was the root of revolution. In his, in his hands, sexual wissenschaft was, as it remains, powerful, radical, and dangerous, which is why the Nazis were so furiously determined to erase it. If anyone is practicing sexual Wissenschaft in their work right now. It's Ray Fela, who is like the literal living embodiment of the Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft, committed to an activist, trans-feminist politics of art and as sex and as work. I'm gonna read a quote from their recent article for the exciting new Invert Journal called, What Kind of Work is Prostitution? It's a question Sally Bowles might both ask and answer. And I reckon she'd agree with Ray's conclusion that precarious service work exists to keep workers precarious. Step one is to win improvements in the relationship of worker to boss within racial and patriarchal capitalism. Step two is to abolish the lot. I would call Ray's work irreverent, but that would imply there's anything worth being reverent about in the status quo. Maybe, in fact, they're more of a kind of queer reverend, a community celebrant, karma to praise resistance. So please welcome Ray Fila.
5: Thank you so much for having me and for that incredible introduction. I'm quite moved by that and I almost don't want to read so that I don't spoil it. Um, But I will. And I'm going to read to you all a shortened version of a story that I wrote recently called 2020 Haggadah, a lyric for survival. Um, And for anybody that doesn't know any background that you might need to know about this is that annually many Jews will celebrate Passover by coming together um, and uh, having something called a Seda night, which is essentially an evening long ritual where you read from a book called the Haggadah, which uh, will tell you, what to eat and what to drink and when, and it has a whole load of rote blessings, and you do this every year. So bear that in mind throughout this story. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Then again, just in case you miscounted the first time. If you care about the Jews, life, vitamin D, at all you will eat your bitter greens dipped in tears our historic tears this is an affirming ritual for survival two of us are here two of you are there one of you is there a box by a box on a box on a box inexplicably one box is upside down everybody is muted except me finally Let my people go free, I shouted, hovering between one, one plus, and two metres away. Boris Johnson guffawed, like a goat. Fingers bouncing, wetly bleating, and insisting on shaking my hand, spit particles flying out of his mouth into the direction of my turned away face. He said, if people like you didn't insist on defying the great scientific government's scientific advice, your people would be free by now, he said. I want nothing more than for you people to be free to work. Free to get back to work. I'll have someone on minimum wage screaming bareback into a payphone call you up in, oh, a completely unmeasurable amount of time to tell you if you've got it. Why is there an orange? What's the orange doing there? Do you always have to make everything political all the time? Can't you give it a rest for one night? this night only, this night which is not like other nights. This is the stuff of affliction. I'm holding up a Jacob's Cracker. In any virus, there is the virus of the virus and the virus, which is fear. While a hundred percent of the virus is virus. A hundred percent of the virus is also fear. Here I snap the cracker in half to demonstrate my point. Eventually, the mask slips off the fear of death. Oh, it was you. Fear of suffering all along. Welcome, sign in, take a box. Can can someone put this cracker away and hide it? I don't want to see it. I don't want to see this fucking cracker. Put it somewhere unexpected. Lindsay, give it a rest. Do you have to be so morbid all the time? It's just like how fear of COVID tracks the fear of HIV AIDS. The fear that letting a body into a body might simultaneously let in the attack. Be quiet, Eli, be quiet. I'm doing our affirming ritual for survival. Ultimately, the fear of suffering is the fear that I might become you. Sorry, technical difficulties. Turn turn your mic on and off again. Can Can we restart this? No, we'll never get to dinner at this rate. Now it's your turn, Eli. What? Are you too bloody simple to even ask a basic set of questions? I thought you were wise. Why can't you be wise? Like your brother, Nathan, who moved to Stevenage to become a tax lawyer. I still believe you'd be better off as a tax lawyer. Look at Nathan, he's got a dining room and he'd be here tonight if he wasn't working hard to provide. Still. You want to be a revolutionary? Fine, that's fine, that's fine. I've got a question for you. When will you get a real job? No, honey, it's fine, I know. We don't have to go through this again. We can move on to the questions. Okay, here we go. Why is this year different to all other years? This isn't the point where you down the wine. Do you have a drinking problem, Eli? So? You can't even wait for us to do the questions before you have already have to drink again. It's four cups, not 40. They might as well have written the wicked son about you. Child, okay, child, gender neutral child, bin bag, post office. I can't keep up with all this nonsense. Everybody recline, no recline. In your little boxes, recline. I want to see you on the left side of your screens. Left, not right. Don't we do this every year? Oh, your left is all right. This year isn't that different, is it? For God's sake, Mum, no, you don't have to recline with your arthritic hip. I left a cup out for Nathan, just in case he does show up. What, this year is just like other years. Fine, 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 you do this bit. Once, after an unfortunate night out cruising, I decided that I had contracted HIV. In summer 2009, I was heartbroken after the end of my first official gay relationship. I was in still gay Soho. That's the gay area of London, with my best friend. Still gay, although possibly not gay for us or gay in the way we'd ideally want. You don't need to get that. Up and down old Compton Street. That's the main gay street in the gay area. The gay street for gays, grandma. The street which gets blurrier and blurrier And still it wasn't enough. Sometimes you get exactly what you set out to get. And in the process, you find out something so unacceptable about yourself. You can never talk about it again. Never talk about it. He never stops bloody talking about it. The window period for a HIV test is six weeks. For six weeks, I was so sick in the head, I couldn't sleep, eat, or hear other people talking. Finally, some peace and quiet around here. Did that happen? I don't remember that happening. You weren't sick, were you darling? Wouldn't I know about that? I don't know that this is appropriate for tonight. This night isn't so different from other nights that you can bring stories like that to this table. No, more importantly, you don't even have a table there, do you? And you would have a proper dining room, wouldn't you? And maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend a gender-neutral friend, a special friend, companion, toilet paper, whatever. As long as he, she, it's Jewish. If you stopped dwelling on the past and finally sorted out your drinking problem. Oh, let's carry on. Shall we all be sitting here while Mashiach has come and gone out to pick up to eat out? It would be just like you to so let Mashiach go out to pick up to eat. He'd be at the McDonald's driveway in Edmonton before he got so much as a boiled egg and salt water around here. Can we please carry on or it will be midnight by the time we get to eat. Now, by now, I am not the only one who has observed that plagues come in tens, 10 plus, give or take. In this year of our Lord, 2020, we have had rivers of blood clots, pestilence, pit brutality, inane clapping, lockdown, popular eugenicism, two flying ant days, an epidemic of back pain, darkness of the soul and death of the thus far 63,000. Poverty, insecure housing, rights for landlords, rights for capitalism, death to the rest, the constant invocation of Jews and Jewishness by racists to attack the racialized. That ends, you see, Mike Corbin, with his Nazi chum, Livingston, good riddance to the lot of them. The mural. Did you see the mural? I don't have anything against Arabs. It's them who want to kill us. They'd have us all murdered in our beds. Oh, it makes you frightened to be alive. Dip your finger in the blood dab it on the kitchen towel. Drain the glass, and another, and another. No wait, better lop your finger off and suckle on it greedily, like a lamb. This may or may not get you through to the end of the night or the year. We sing together. If Boris Johnson had simply shaken my hand once, it would have been enough for us. As it was, he grabbed each of my limbs in turn. Finally, I turned away when he tried to get my shoes off to start shaking my toes. He said. He didn't want me to feel like we had to escape anywhere because anyway, there was nowhere to go. And living here in the great London of Great Britain with the great COVID response and the great national health service and great nation should dare I say it, it should really be enough for us. He said, he'd set up an air bridge probably I said to where and he said, he wouldn't be going into detail at present. I said, but he said, no further questions. It should be enough for us for now. He was following the best possible scientific advice. And that should be enough for us. What did we want? What did we want? Enough already, enough already. Is it time for the sandwich? Let's do the sandwich. You made your own matzah. And what's wrong with Ruckusans? All right, blessed are you, our God, who extended your hand from Egypt and took us away from indentured labour and simultaneously gave us the gift of flatbread, thereby improving our cuisine and minimising women's labour. Blessed are you, our God, who so far has kept us safe during these times and brings us all together to share in this gift, the gift of family. Okay, let's finally eat. I swear to God this gets longer every year and I wonder we have to have between four and 40 cups to get through it. Anyway, about this time, I want to say something. I want to say, I think it's good we reflect on the year. This year, which is both like and unlike other years, and how when we were slaves, when we were suffering in the desert, I finally said to Boris Johnson, let me go. And from his hospital throne, he stretched out his wet hand, beringed with IV drips and coughed twice, catheterized, weakly speaking of a future uncontaminated idyll he wept. Never would I ever have admitted this, but now even your people must go help this great nation by eating out. You must eat out. You must go down in your millions and save the rest of us by eating out. You must eat out. You must go down. You must lick, suck, and otherwise cundiling for this great country, the great parliament, and the great NHS must be saved by a new pandemic, a new epidemic thorough, hell-hearted, and hell-dexterously-tongued, head-giving. This is the only thing we will be testing and tracing to see how you do. He coughed. (sighs) I never learned. It is too late for me. It is too late. Oh, Eli, stop wittering, you're drunk. Go and find half a cracker, and your dad will post you a fiver sometime next week. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, my boy. I know you aren't raking it in being a revolutionary. Don't you ever get tired of frightening your family? It's only because we love you. One day we'll be gone, and then it will be too late, too late, too late, to finally make us proud, like your brother Nathan.
1: Gone. I think it may now be too late for all of us because Ray has killed it. That was so cathartic. And I think it's definitely time now to take a cracker break or possibly a breakdown or a lie down due to the uncanny accuracy with which Ray has just articulated my childhood SEDA experiences. And I will now need therapy. So please take this moment to switch on your mics briefly and applaud our readers and filmmakers in the first half and then switch them off to go refresh your fried cheese, top up your cocktails, mocktails, and teas, have a pee, have a breather, and we will willkommen you back in five minutes. Please, a round of applause. Willkommen, welcome, Willkommen, Willkommen, welcome back, uh, I hope you all have your Ohios, uh, you found some more sect, uh, some more lager, maybe you've dipped some rose petals in cocaine and radium cream, which is the Weimar intoxicant that I am most keen to try. Um, I have an apology to make to Sam Fisher and the Peninsula team. Sam, Will, Jake, please forgive me for begging you in the aftermath of the election last November to please let me off writing about fascism and write a book about she instead. Tonight's performances are why this book was and is worth it. And why I'm also so thrilled that, our, that Dan Fuller, our audio producer extraordinaire, is creating a podcast so that tonight's words will be in our oral archive. Because all too often queer excellence is erased or neglected. And I'm going to ask you to drop some links to queer archives in the chat if you have them. Official archives, unofficial archives, personal archives. Please share them. I'm gonna read briefly from the book about why archives matter. Jacques Derrida described the feeling of confronting Shoah images as mal d'archives, typically translated as archive fever. A burning compulsion to engage with the fragmentary documentation as a way of recreating what has gone. I feel it's better expressed as archive ache, the phantom ache of the lost limb, the history that can be accessed only through its absence. In recording the facts of bodies and lives, of the cultures it is trying to suppress and destroy, the archive always undermines itself. Archiving and classifying as acts of domination speak of their fear of what they are trying to contain. The anarchive is the record of that uncontainability. I feel like maybe we could have a show of faces or hands just to see who's come back uh, from the break before we go to our first performer of the second half. So I don't know if people just wanna, yeah, stick some cameras on and give us a wave. Hi. Hey, it's great to see everyone. Yeah, hey. I wanted to make sure that there were a lot of people here because no one is going to want to miss a second of our second half and certainly no one is going to want to miss Campbell X. Campbell is my favorite uncontainable anarchive and anarchivist. He is an unstoppable audiovisual force, a visual activist like Zanele Mukholy with whom he has just made a short film. I first met Campbell when he was hosting the dreamiest dream writing workshop with Cheryl Dunier, whose film The Watermelon Woman famously busts open the straight white archive of Hollywood cinema to find and fall in love with black queer history. Campbell's films are part of that history, not least because they reappropriate archive film to expand both past and future. It's always a thrill to screen Campbell's work and hear him talk about cinema, whether we're busting open film institutions that shall remain nameless, or in shared times and places like this, where we all come together as co conspirators. So please give a warm welcome
4: to Campbell X. Hi, uh, so thanks so much for your wonderful, wonderful introduction. Um, I'm going to show um, my short film, Desire. Desire by name, Desire by nature. It does what it says on the tin. Um, And um, I've been given three minutes to say, Um, stuff about it but I'm sure it would be less than that. Um, As a child of immigrants um, there is always um, the burden of representation in a way and the burden to work harder, to be more excellent, to um, reach beyond a kind of normality to kind of be superhuman in a way. And when I made Desire, I wanted to go against everything that I'd learned. And I made this film to fail. Um, And I wanted to do that in order to play and to um, delve into pleasure, really. And Desire is a film about desiring people who've been assigned female at birth who may now, um, and some people have changed. Some people were studs, became trans men. Some people were non-binary, became trans men. Some people were non-binary, became studs. It's all fluid and beautiful, but it's about um, masculinity. And people speak about their desire for that kind of masculinity. People who are themselves masculine, trans, non-binary, uh, studs, or even femmes. So um, hopefully this is going to work. We had we had technical issues when we were trying it out, um, bandwidth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm going to take my camera off because that seemed to help everything. And people want to do that. That helps. It might be a bit stuttery at the beginning. Hopefully it will catch up. So I'm going to now present to you Desire. The animations are by um, <coughs> Nilu Booman, and the music is by Lynn Campbell-Sangsta.
0: OK, so um, you've just heard the introduction to the phenomenal Campbell X, but unfortunately, you cannot witness their incredibly sexy film Desire, uh, which is spelt with an exclamation mark instead of an I. Um, it is i mean it's just it's just like a beautiful sexy interrogation of trans men's bodies and it is uh it, it's stark and beautiful and incredibly real and i i i think we need to give a special shout out to all the people who participated in it because there were some wonderfully brave people in there and uh it was a phenomenal
1: movie yeah that's that's a great shout Dan. absolutely um campbell has such a gift for working with performers yeah uh and encouraging them to share their stories and to really um to face the camera because he shoots with such love and such knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, he's always working in community and so it becomes this shared party. It's a very intimate film, yeah. um, which also makes it hard to describe, although it would be wonderful to be able to play the, the audio. It's such a rich um, voiceover script. Um, Campbell has, in a sense, been my mentor and teacher, uh, as well as friend in the, in the queer community, queer and trans community in the UK. His work isn't really like anyone else's and has been um, out there, as you say, in interrogating uh, and also loving subjects who were excluded even from queer cinema or queer conversations. He's Mm. always been at the cutting edge, uh, generously building community around himself. Um, Like right now with uh, uh, Kaiser Rose, a project called the Wahala Fund, which enables queer people of colour to apply for completion funds for short film projects, so we'll drop a link for Wahala uh, Mm -hmm. in the chat. So always thinking in a communitarian way and sexuality, not just in the sense of like the spectrum of who you desire, but sexuality as an active practice, as an active way of engaging in the world is absolutely the heart of, of Campbell's work. And he really challenges us on the lack of sex, the lack of the erotic, the lack of intimacy, in um, British cinema and culture in our very um, you know anti-sex body phobic culture which also underlines the transphobia and the critiques of sex work the Mm -hmm. ill-informed critiques of sex work in the UK it just come from this body phobia this refusal to be embodied and and address and to love uh, our bodies and Campbell's films like share that in such a a pleasurable way um mm-hmm. and i think that's part of the function of that exclamation mark in desire is it's part of the humor the loving humor of Campbell's work but also a reminder that we can't say that word yeah. <laughs> in like british culture and and yeah. that is something that you know that is something that fascism is also an identifier of fascism, right? That I write about in the book that fascism denies the body, mm. and it particularly denies the sexual body, and it denies sexual agency mm. while fetishizing certain other bodies and eroticizing certain other bodies. It denies sexual agency. It denies the agency of desire for those who don't conform to the dominant standard. And so it was. It's like so important the work that Campbell is doing in Desire and in his more recent film Visible uh, about British queer. Uh, community of colour and and cinema Um, so you know to all the film funders listening out there just give Campbell all the money give
0: him all the money give him all the money Um, all the money in the world (laughs) on that note uh, I think we'll sign off and go back to the live performance
1: (laughs) I need another lie down now Um, in writing this book I had the chance to think about why films like desire turn me inside out and upside down and make me realize that's how the world should be not that there's many films like desire one that I do write about is nitrate kisses by legendary filmmaker Barbara Hammer, whose work means so much to me and, I'm guessing, to many people on the call tonight. I know it means a lot to Campbell, I can see him nodding, and I know it means a lot to Tim Smith, whose film we'll be watching next. Both of them have programmed Hammer's work, and it's because of them and queer programmers like my club FM colleague and mentor, Selena Robertson, that I could write this book, and that I wanted to. So this next section is for you.
4: I can tell a little, um, sorry, I can tell a little Barbara Hammer, just a little story. She said, I, she, she told me, I, I said to her, every day is a birthday and I was to bring her a birthday cake when I met her. So that's just a little Barbara Hammer. She's so, she was so funny, such an incredible, incredible woman, so generous and loving.
1: And I think that is a great example of silencing the assholes with fabulousness.
4: She was fabulous.
1: <laughs> um, and at the beginning of this reading, I use an acronym, Quilt Bag, Queer, Intersex, Lesbian, Trans, Bisexual, Asexual, and Gay, which was coined by Nicola Griffiths and Kelly Eskridge. Um, and I love it because it disrupts the hierarchy we expect from those Acronisms, acronyms, acronyms, acronyms. Quilt bag film culture disrupts generational patterns of erasure, making precariously visible what was once completely hidden. Nitrate Kisses has changed our presence, which was its future, by changing the past. It's a queer strategy of folding time through its queer activation of archive materials Using a combination of archive footage, voiceover narration, and live sex between diverse couples, Hammer's experimental film embeds the homophobic, racist policies of the Reagan and Bush administrations within a history of American censorship of queer bodies. Nitrate Kisses puts the kisses back onto nitrate, opening it up to include the imaginary, the erotic, the complex, and the diverse. It's highly appropriate that Dr. Timothy Smith's production company is called Lucid Films because Tim is both enviably articulate and a beacon of queer kinship, kindness, and creativity, even in dark places that shall remain nameless. Tim's imaginary, erotic, complex, diverse films have travelled the world, winning awards, not least for their internationalist, collective outlook and approach to both form and context. With lucidity, he talks in his PhD about how his work travels by touching us immediately and intimately through haptic orality, diffractive listening and interference. Travelling towards us on sound waves that pass through us, Tim's single screen digital artworks are messages on a molecular level, as you'll hear now in Queering the Technologic. So please set yourselves to vibrate mode, and welcome Tim Smith.
6: Oh my God, thank you so. (laughs) That's such a lovely introduction. Um, And thank you for your invitation to take part in this event. I feel like I'm in such wonderful company. It's also really lovely to see so many people I've either worked with or had other experiences with My um, examiner of my PhD, Davina Quinlivan, is in the audience. Uh, Lucy Bolton, hey. Um, Gemma Desai and Helen DeWhip and um, my time at the BFI. Um, And actually, although I've never met Jenny Chamaret, I do cite her and Davina Quinlivan in my thesis. So it's it's, it's so nice to have everyone um, in the audience. Um, So this film you're about to watch is a collaboration um, between myself, Soumeya, Camel X, uh, Valentino Becchietti and Teresa Cisneros and um, I made it as my, the final film as part of my PhD and the voice that you will hear narrating the film is a digital hybrid collective voice of all of our voices um, and I won't tell you any more about the film, I'll, I'll let the film speak for itself, except for the fact that it's a, a message of hope from the future. Um, and sorry for that, there's major fireworks going off around my thing. So I'm going to mute myself now and I'm gonna let So press play on the film. I hope you enjoy.
4: hello it's us again (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) this is
1: us from the future speaking back to the events of the past it's such a mindfuck
0: that is an incredible segue so uh, (laughs) to (laughs) to the final film of the evening which you can actually watch Uh, on all four it is called queering the technologic d spelled d i techno as in uh
1: it's T-E-K-N-O-L-O-J-I-C. The technologic, which is the Dutch word for technology.
0: Yeah, or techno is in dirty raves in the fields uh, in, <laughs> in the counties, uh, <laughs> which I know nothing about. No, wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, wear a mask. Or oh, don't go um, uh, into other things. Right man. But this is a wicked film, and you involved personally, so I
6: believe.
1: Uh, yeah, it's actually it's very odd recording this with you on Discord and uh, talking about a film where part, part of the process that I was involved in was recording a collective voice. Yeah. So Tim Smith, the filmmaker, invited uh, myself, uh, Campbell X, Valentino Vecchietti, who is an intersex activist and artist. And uh, Teresa Cisneros, who is a, f- a film maker, to contribute our voices to creating a collective voice using a speech, det- uh, speech processing software. Yeah. So it's um, a program that learns your voice to do dictation, speech to text dis- dictation. And we queered it. Um, each of us has a different position on the gender spectrum, sexuality spectrum, different ethnicities, different class backgrounds different nationalities so mm-hmm. by reading sentences in turn to do the training rather than a single person reading all of the sentences sentences it produced this collective voice yeah. that tim then used to read the the script of the film which we all wrote collectively as and, well and
0: it's um, it's, a it's like a message from a utopian future to our. Sadly messed up present, um, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I was really stirred uh, and smiled at the idea that uh, things, things might get better than they are
1: currently. Um, well, the message is that, I guess, what, you know, what we do now, we can't what's... see the effect it will have in the future, yeah. but it contributes yeah. to producing yeah. the utopian future. So um, that balance as yeah. of utopian and a reflection on obviously like the you know intense rolling ongoing crises and yeah. um you know part part of what i w- i wanted to do in the book and you know it's up to readers whether i succeeded is you know we often exceptionalize um the fascism of the 1930s we talk about it as a very singular incident as um almost Um, incommensurable with the rest of human history and that's a really for me problematic way to portray it especially when only portions of that history are being portrayed for example the Shoah is talked about without addressing the Parajmos which was the genocide against uh, Roma people so to both exceptionalize it and then uh, exceptionalize it within history and then exceptionalize communities that were addressed to not talk about the fact that anarchists, sex workers Queer people, trans people, disabled people were also um, murdered, placed in concentration camps. Um, people of people
0: of all different religious faiths as well.
1: As, as well. Yes, uh, it wasn't just Jews. Um, a- absolutely, people of 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 all uh, non-Christian faiths and and none. And you know, in some cases, for example, um, LGBT people who, who survived may then have found themselves having to live in secrecy Mm. um, as the Nazi-era penal code on homosexuality lasted well into the 70s Mm. in Germany. So when we don't tell those stories, when we exceptionalize how we explain what the nature of of the Holocaust and of of fascism was, that's problematic. And then when we exceptionalize 1930s fascism, when we um, don't see its continuity with European colonialisms and imperialisms, That's another problem. And those problems kind of fit together. Mm. Um, So that's, you know, that's part of what I wanted to deal with in the book. And that's part of what the film is also addressing by thinking about um, the continuum of temporalities um, in which we are activists and about which we are activists. Mm. um, And a future that has to look back has to reflect on all of these cycles and that you know the the future of those pasts that we're in now we mm. also have responsible for addressing all of those cycles and that that is what can be utopian about activism or what i felt was you know could be celebratory about writing this book was was trying to take all of that on mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to keep that shining day in mind otherwise uh Otherwise, it can be very, very depressing. (laughs) Um, And on that note, I I think I think we should potentially leave our intervention there because the ending of the event, which you all will hear, uh, was a mass lighting of candles and flames and cigarettes. And even on audio, uh, it's an incredibly powerful and resonant moment. And I think I think that. Our listeners will agree that it's a wonderful way to end a podcast to celebrate an absolutely wonderful book. Oh, um, thanks,
1: yeah. so if you're if you're listening, if you've been also one of our listeners uh, all year, you may be very sick of me and Dan, but we are not <laughs> we are not sick of you. Um, thank you so much for joining us on isolation station throughout the year and you know, do light a candle, raise a glass um with us to all of our podcast guests and So the opportunity that we've had to like, it may not be the shining day yet, but all of the conversations that we've had this year have made me feel more hopeful than I had done otherwise about the creativity and the political intelligence of what's happening right now in independent British literature. So thank you for having me as part of it, Dan.
0: Oh, thank Thank you for... um... Letting a cis white man host <laughs> a podcast about trans um trans and queer um, Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege. So, and thank you so much and massive congrats and big up to everyone involved in the event. It was one of my favorite nights of the year. Um, love to all our listeners and stay tuned because there's
4: more on the way, ever more.
1: Wow, it's very hard to come back from that beautiful future to reappear in this moment um, and join all of you having traveled to that future with us. That film really is a time machine, not just in the sense that it can transport us to the future without us doing the work that our descendants call for, but in that film compresses time and carries time. Because of that, audiovisual media, like verbal language, is a critical arena in which we struggle to shape the future by knowing the fullness of the past. I'm gonna read, short reading from the book. Dominance of the visual field is not just a question of representation, inclusive or otherwise. It is a structural and systemic practice, one that pervades technological as well as social and aesthetic change. This work is done, as Derek Jarman puts it, at your own risk. What is at stake is your connection to precarious others from whom dominant culture attempts to separate you. The work is done by looking at, knowing that we are handling nitrate history and culture that are not inert, but combustible, not archive fever, but the ache of archive love, archive desire, not uh, archive joy, not keeping secrets, but unfolding them. And if there's anyone whose work can inspire us to be the ancestors that Queering D Technologic believes we can be, it's Keith Jarrett's which is full of secrets set free with love. This is a poet who starts his most recent connection, Salah, with a poem called Acknowledgements. His generosity, a quality too infrequently admitted as the root of creativity, is outstanding his waterfalls of language, the grain and burnish of his voice, the quicksilver movement of his metaphors, and the expansion of his writing in multiple directions, spoken word, poetry on the page, a new PhD, congratulations, Dr. Jarrett, and a novel. Of this last, he notes over on his blog, Zone 1-6, to the novel, well, I'm looking forward to the next steps phase when what becomes of it is no longer in my hands. Yes, we want it in our hands. So please put your hands together for Dr. Keith Jarrett.
7: Thank you. It's such, such, such a pleasure to be here. And I'm really enjoying this gorgeous book. Um, And also I have my PhD supervisor, Julia Pell, here. As well, um, I am going to open with um the poem that you just mentioned, so which means a lot to me. I wrote it um at a time of a lot of uncertainty um t- for um just before the EU referendum, and I'll just go straight into it. It's called Acknowledgements. We who have survived. We who have queered, fagged, and puffed our way through the school system. We, the survivors of oppressive institutions and the sticklers and stone hearts that run them, we who have survived. We with glitterproof ribs that once caved under the shadows of our parents' disapproval. We with pockets made of hand me down wounds. We of pursed lips and handbag humour and zones four, five and six commutes. We who once knew these streets by their bus shelters, who still know these streets by their old names. Racism road, homophobia grove, bigot hill. We who know history's desire to repeat, who know progress is neither linear nor neat. We who do not take for granted we who have survived the gentrifier's claw we have seen our media our companies our governments parade around rainbow flags and diversity awards at their fashionable convenience we who have journeyed past this cluster of colonizing avenues who have learned to sip heavily accented wine who have washed our tongues in its morning after we have loved beyond borders as we do not fear the other though fear is never foreign to us. We who were born on an island and whose parents were born on another island, we have learned to build bridges and we have learned to cross those bridges even as they burn with the fuel the politicians provided, we who never take for granted. We stand in love and in fury and in power. So I'm going to go on a bit of a downer because some of the themes in the book are really um, grim um, and we do need to resist and I and really, and this is the first and only time I will ever quote um, Katie Hopkins um, but this poem opens with a quote from the aforementioned person. Um, and the poem's called Backwards. This after Wallace Stevens. Some of our towns are festering sores, plagued, plagued by swarms of migrants and asylum seekers, shelling out benefits like monopoly money. Make no mistake, these migrants are like cockroaches. Thirteen. I become a sparrow. 12. Consider the sparrow in its simplicity. 11. The search engine cannot name that feeling inside of me. Complacency, complicity, its shadow weighs the night down into day. 10. Power lives in a locked up house on a street with no name. I remember things with names can be dismantled nine praise be the respected columnist we give thanks for her powerful writing on this matter eight oh wretched amusement is in the process of colonizing my chest asylum was never granted for my anger seven today he announces the closure of all his borders the very hairs on my head six I have been praying to a foreign god. Five, we have been singing the song of cockroaches. We have been drowning for 500 years. Kun. watch over them. Four, I try to hold my body as a boulder. I try to sound out my new national anthem. I'm forever blowing bubbles. I remain stateless. Three, I notice how when I am drunk, the borders blur. We are one. Two, when I wake late and read my notes, I will stumble at the place I wrote history's open handed slap to its children. I will not keep that line. History has another name. Drink on these things. One, this spring, when we learn about the drowned bodies, I offer my sleep to the yawning comments. I do not search the night for validation below the editorial line i clasp the words of baldwin and king knowing that wretched speech is no worse than negative peace i resist reverse the narrative thank you so 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 much and congratulations on such a wonderful book i'm gonna leave with this one poem which I have very rarely read out um, because it is, um, it it can be misinterpreted as actually um, fascist and it's not. Um, I was in a workshop where we were invited um, to create our own um, dictatorship and to create a command. Um, So um, it was the first poem that sprang to mind um having read um the book so here it is it's called purge tomorrow morning at the stroke of 11 or whereabouts all traces of heterosexuality will be eradicated i am the ultimate authority in this Do not be alarmed, do be alarmed. Fuck all nature, nurture bullshit. Blood changes like water. We are the creator of gay grasses springing from faggot gardens. Nuclear families will be nuked. A mushroom bonfire of identikit mating practices. Houses built out of hetero will be broken down brick by patriarchal brick they'll bend their red brown bones under our new rainbow sky we will objectify the moon instead all the outdated textbooks will serve as tinder fire fanning the winds wolf whistles all that is straight will be made whole again pure as dust returning to the ground shorn of pronouns and accompanying expectations stripped of conformist proclivities submissives will inherit the earth at least long enough to lick between the toes of each newborn day i have spoken into the night this decree will be cemented in glitter no flames there shall be no mourning over ashes tomorrow our flag will hang umbilically into the future will hang from the beat of every broken down queer heart will hang like a shroud over our burned ancestors will hang like wrists tied up like small
4: scriptures thank you
1: Thank you Keith, hat buddy, poet extraordinaire, in Purge Keith says there shall be no mourning over ashes. I hear it, I need it, a Nazi word for a Nazi thing begins with a burning. The burning of books and film reels, including those from Hirschfeld's library in Oppenplatz, Berlin, on the 10th of May, 1933. Keith's poem reminds us that that fire is ours. Power has taken it and used it against us. The brightness, the hotness, the energy and beauty that is our fire. Thank you, Isabel, Juliet, Ray, Campbell, Tim, and Keith, for everything that your work carries and everything that it makes and will make possible. Thank you to everyone who came to watch and listen and stayed. Please buy books if you can. Support Queer Spaces how you can. Activate archives when you can, including your own. All of you, your work matters and I can't wait for it to be present and in my hands. It's how we all make the change and become the ancestors we are capable of being so the future can arrive. I'm just gonna read the very end of the book. Spoiler alert. The history we carry is our history, each of us an archive, perhaps of untaken photographs and destroyed films, of work we will never have the opportunity to see or make, but also of the yearning to make that impossible work possible. This is the secret people keep, people like us whom power tries to deny, that immortality lives in our continuous resistance, is in us, is us. It's a tradition dating back to the early 17th century to light fires and fireworks tonight in England to commemorate the failure of an attempt to bring down Parliament. But why concede that it's celebrating the failure rather than the attempt and future attempts? It's also a tradition dating back further still to 14th century Germany, which was the intellectual and spiritual center of Ashkenazi Judaism to light a candle on the anniversary of the death of someone close to you. Traditionally that means close family, but why not chosen family close and far across generations? Fire is memory, a queer visual activism that links past and present to the promise in its afterimage behind closed eyes of a future. In the spirit of archive joy of, as Keith says, no mourning over ashes, I want to invite everyone who would like to do so to lay hands on a candle, sparkler, cigarette matches, lighter vape pen or small torch and light them. Turn your other lights off if you can, Turn your Zoom camera on and switch to gallery view. I want to see if we can fill the screen with our new Yartzeit for the future. Our fireworks for the moment that it all calms down. Our joy for what we find in the archives when we set imaginative fire to them. The immortality of our continuous resistance. Let it glow.